Let me just pray and uh, we'll get started. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity just to see what you're doing. Lord, we, we love what you're doing and we love who you are. And Lord, we want today to just join you in the great work that you're doing around our country and beyond. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be uh, poured out. And Lord, that you would communicate thoughts here this morning in a unique way that would really touch our hearts and, and cause us, Lord, to be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you all, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you. And I've, I've heard about Brett for so long, and then I met him. It was like, whoa, I met Brett. And I've heard about your pastor, and I go, whoa, you know, I'm actually going to be at his church, you know. And uh, I, I just want to say that it is an honor to be a part of, of what God is doing. And when you enter into the work that God is doing, it is, it is an exciting experience to be a part of. And uh, I, I just want to say that today is uh, my 46th anniversary. And my, my wife here, Joe, you can just raise your hand so they know who you are. And my, my son, Paul, uh, we have three sons. And, uh, and Paul's a, he's a great guy. I love him. And, uh, and then right next to Joe is Maria and Donna. They were in the college department when I was a pastor, uh, college pastor at Grace Community Church eons ago, long, long time ago. It's good to have you guys here. Um, this is where we spent the first night of our honeymoon was in Thousand Oaks. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> spent it at Howard Johnson's. It was a... <laughs> Now, back then, it was a brand new place, and it was an exciting po- place to be a part of, you know. And then we went up, I went up to, we went up to Miramar, up in Santa Barbara after that, and then went on up to uh, Carmel and spent our time together up there. Um, but, and we're actually leaving today and moving right back up the very place where we, we traveled on our honeymoon. So it's great to be here and to have my wife here with us as well. Thank you for being here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful. <clears throat> You know, I just want you to know that uh, I've been meeting weekly with some pastors. We, we meet and pray for the Conejo Valley. We've been doing it for over a year out at Canaan Road and Mulholland Drive. And we just keep praying that God would move over this valley. And uh, it has been exciting to see how God just begins to move in a very slow way and begins to break out into a community. And I, I believe with all my heart, it's his intention to break out into the Conejo Valley like you've never, um, you could never imagine. And uh, uh, I was a part of uh, an event that took place at the National Mall back in 1997. It was a Promise Keepers event. I don't know if any of you go to that Promise Keepers event back there. Yeah. At the very end of the, of the event, it was, it was an amazing time. Over a million men gathered in the mall. And uh, Coach McCartney said, go back and win your city. And for some reason, that just resonated with me that that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go. That's what God wants us to do is to go back and win our city. And so we went through a very difficult time for about two years in our church. But after that, the Lord began to reveal to me what it was, what he wanted us to do. And we began to start all night prayer meetings once a month, praying for our city and praying for the churches in the valley. 
And then eventually it uh, segued into pastors praying. Dave Cuff, Calvary Chapel, pastor, the two of us started praying together. I mean, it was weird for the two of us to get together. We kind of go, you know, he's checking me out. I'm checking him out. And we actually, we are dear friends. He runs my website now. And uh, he's a dear guy. I I just have great respect for him. But we have prayed, we prayed uh, from January of 2001 uh, for our valley, and in I think it was in 2012, the Lord began to real, reveal to us what He had in mind. But our, our commitment was to pray together, to build relationship among pastors in the valley, and the third thing was that we uh, would ask the Lord to show us what He had in mind for us to do in the city, uh, in the in San Fernando Valley, and out of it birthed Neighborhood Initiative. If you look at the book, Dave is mentioned in here and. His whole experience when, when he realized this is, in fact, what God has called us to do, that he wants to bring his whole church together in neighborhoods. And uh, you start thinking of the implications of, of loving your neighbors. I'm writing a, a second book. It's called The Whole Church Should Be Done Sometime This Year. But becoming the incarnational church, not just an incarnational church, but the whole church working together. And you'll see how this kind of plays out as I show a couple of slides here. But when the, church, the whole church begins to work together, it's an amazing thing. I believe what the Lord has in mind. He is answering the prayer that he prayed that we would be one that the world would know that the Father sent the Son, the whole church being one. A new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And that would be played out in the very neighborhoods where we live. That's the only place that it can happen. So if we're going to love our neighbors, then we're going to also have to love people who go to different churches. That's exciting, huh? You start thinking of people who in your neighborhood who go to different churches. And I had, there's a couple in our church, full-blown believers. She works at the Catholic diocese. I know that's going to shake us up, but I think we put labels on people instead of really relating to people as people in the body of Christ. And uh, so anyway, uh, it's an exciting thing that God is doing. I want to show you a slide here. I'm speaking on invasion of the kingdom of God because I believe that that's really what the Lord is up to right now. He is inv- his kingdom is invading the world. And it's going to start in the neighborhood. About four years ago, I was back in Denver. Uh, some of you may have read the book, Art of Neighboring. Any of you read the book? Uh, the, need to read it. Uh, Dave Runyon and Jay Pathick wrote the book. And what they did, they were meeting together with 44 pastors, a real variety of pastors. I mean, a real variety of pastors meeting together, and they've been praying for their city for years. And uh, what they decided to do is to turn their people loose in neighborhoods. And so there were uh, 44 pastors, 44 churches. They asked them to sign up online. They signed up online, and this, this was part of their website. And so over 3,000 people signed up on, online indicating that they wanted to begin to love their neighbors and to work with people from other churches. Isn't that exciting? That was four years ago. Dallas Willard, if any of you know Dallas Willard, Dallas looked at this slide. He said, this could be the revival that we've been praying for. And so uh, it, it's really something to take a look at, that what God is up to right now is he's bringing his whole church together to do a marvelous work. Uh, it, it's happening all over the place. This, they, the, the website, you could sign up anywhere in our country. So many people signed up for it, the website, it just crashed. You get a sense of a movement of God, of what God is doing. This is the whole church. We get to all be a part of it. 
everybody plays in this game. It's my, our, our uh, mission statement is the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole city, one neighborhood at a time. You got to break it down. So you, you, you start moving out in your own neighborhood where you are. It's an exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, in Austin, Texas, Dave Runyon spoke to over 200 pastors that all want to move toward neighboring. San Antonio, where Max Licato's the pastor and Randy Frazee's the pastor there, they have sectored off the whole city of San Antonio. They have uh, like seven community pastors that, that are over, not community, yeah, community pastors that over those areas. Underneath them, there's 500 neighborhood leaders, and under them are all the people that are leading out in neighborhoods. Pretty exciting. I, get, I just go on and on. But this is the one that I love. This is up in Acton, uh, California. Acton is just north of Los Angeles. And in uh, this is... Uh, uh, friends of ours, right in the center is Sean Caldwell and Carla, and uh, they read the book. These people went through the, the Neighborhood Initiative book, and uh, they decided that they were going to start meeting together and praying for the neighbors. So there's, there's actually six couples that meet every the third Sunday of every month and uh, for a dinner and praying for their neighbors. And they move out uh, and go from house to house to do this. Sound a little bit like the New Testament. So they're having their meals together in their homes. And so they, they're, the people here, these couples go to six, no, five different churches. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this, this kind of shakes us up. One of the chapters in the new book that's coming out is Churches Without Borders. We've typically had churches, you know, I go to this church, you go to that church, but now we have a chance to work together in neighborhoods. Just imagine, just imagine if everyone in the whole church in the Caneo Valley began to love their neighbors as themselves. Think of the impact. Just imagine if every believer in the Conejo Valley saw themselves as missionaries where they live. Consider the impact that you would have on the Conejo Valley. Imagine if all of your small groups became outposts for the spread of the gospel. I'll tell you, Bruce Zachary has been writing me, and this guy, I've never seen anybody pastor more. He's with Calvary Chapel uh, Camarillo. The guy is like, he's blazing. He can't, he's so excited about moving out. He would like to see in 10 years uh, 200 neighborhood groups in the city of Camarillo with the intention of reaching out and loving their neighbors. It's an exciting thing to be a part of. Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, said that Christian missionaries made a deliberate point of gaining whatever households they could as lighthouses, so to speak, from which the gospel could illuminate the surrounding darkness. He points out that the early church stressed the centrality of the household for the advancement of Christianity. Pretty exciting. You know, that's what the early church did, and the early church grew exponentially. If you look through the book of Acts, that's what you see happening. It's hard, it's hard to take the American church and put it on the book of Acts, but when we began to move out into the community, the book of Acts will come alive to you, because you'll see it through, not through the American church filter, but you'll see it as, as God intended the church to be. All of us are, are familiar with the uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? Join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. That is prayer, is a prayer that we would be the ones who would bring his kingdom. So every time we pray that, we're saying we want the kingdom of God to come through us. Have you ever thought about where the kingdom of God resides? The kingdom of God resides in us. God is in us, and his kingdom is us inside us as well. Jesus, in, in Luke 17, 20, says, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And Jesus was saying, really saying in a in kind of in a in a cloaked way i'm here my kingdom is here because it resides in me and what's happened is the kingdom of god also resides in us i love the past one of my favorite passages uh, is in philippians 2:13 he says for it is god who works in you both to will and to do the work of his good pleasure See, God wants to work out his will by the, his power to accomplish his good pleasure. It's such a great thing. See, I, I believe this. I believe that we've undersold ourselves and who we are. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could even ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within who? Us. And see, when we began to realize who we are, it's a, it, we're a powerful unit, if you will. We are a powerful being. And I think we sell ourselves short. <clears throat> Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew thirteen thirty three, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, it's, it's some of, uh, in one translation said 60 pounds of flour. How much yeast, women, does it take to change 60 pounds of flour? Just a little bit. Because they're living cells. And that yeast begins to multiply itself and begins to influence all of the flour. See, we are those living cells. We are, the king, we are in God's kingdom. And when we move out, we begin to influence everything around us. So the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants to contain us. He wants to contain us. But we're, we're a powerhouse. We're an amazing group of people. One woman in, in Denver asked me, she said, how, how can... I, by working in my neighborhood and loving my neighbors, influence Denver. I said, if you, based upon what's said here, if you begin to work in your neighborhood, you will eventually influence all of Denver based upon what Jesus is saying in the parable. You begin to love your neighbor. See, we want to do something big so it'll get bigger. Jesus says, start small. And it began to allow it to work its way out and begin to have influence. 
He also points out in Matthew 13, 31 and 32, he said, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. I remember when I was in seminary, we wondered, who are the birds? It doesn't matter who the birds are. The point of, of the parable that Jesus is saying is you start, you know, we've even argued about, you know, it's, is it really the, large, the smallest seed? I mean, we go to that. But really what Jesus is getting at is you just start small, and before long, you will influence your whole community. It'll start with your neighborhood, it'll move out from there, and eventually you'll, move, you'll begin to influence your whole city. But you've got to start somewhere, and you start by loving your actual neighbor. And love everybody around you, and things will be changed. So what the enemy wants to do is he wants to contain the church. He wants to keep us in our building. He wants to keep us involved in our programs. He doesn't want us to, to touch anybody else because this is his domain out there. And when we begin to step out and we love the people out there, things start changing. Communities start changing. Cities start changing. It's a transforming type of thing that takes place. Remember, it also, he's done a great job, the enemy's done a great job of, of, of literally isolating the world from itself. He's isolated the church from the world, and he's isolated the world from itself. We went out and worked with the LAPD, and we were doing cleanup. It was called Cleanup Los Angeles. And one couple went to this one woman's house, and she said, I have not talked to a neighbor in 30 years. Now, that's extreme. But really, I, I believe, I'll say this, I believe that network news and all of this stuff is all for the intention of creating fear to keep us isolated from one another. And there are a lot of other things to keep us isolated from one another, and one of them is busyness, you know. So anyway, I, I, I want to ask the question, how do we then begin to uh, move into our community? How does the kingdom break in? And the way the kingdom of God breaks in is the same way the kingdom of God broke in when Jesus came here to earth. It says this in, in John 1.14, it said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling, where? Among us. See, his whole life is so different than the way the church looks today. He moved in, and he was relating to people all the time. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Message, he said, the word became flesh and moved into, if any know that translation, moved into the neighborhood. See, that's the most personal way that Eugene Peterson could make it, was to say he moved into the neighborhood. And, and that's really, I believe, what the Lord has in mind for us, that we need to do the same thing Jesus did. We need to take on flesh, so to speak, and move into the neighborhood and begin to relate to people. Uh, what is the Kairos life? And this is something that uh, I'm going to share with you that Brett asked me to speak about. But really the way of, of moving out in. Uh, into the neighborhood is based upon the very thing that Jesus did when he was here on earth. In John uh, 5, 17, 19, and 20, let me just read it to you. Jesus said, uh, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. 
I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. The Kairos life, and I'll explain it to you in a moment, is really doing the same thing Jesus did when he was here on earth, living the same way he lived his life. The Kairos life is, is the most exciting life you'll ever want to live. And it is filled with adventure. It's full of surprises. And once you enter into this kind of life or the life that Jesus lived, you, will want, you won't want to go back to the old way. It is how he lived his life. What is Kairos? Let's look at, um, let's see if I can bring that up. I'll go past those. In the uh, King James translation of Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. For years, uh, when I read this verse, uh, my interpretation of it, based upon the King James translation, uh, was that I need to make sure that I, I really spend my time by busying, getting lots done, being a holy person. You know, all of those kinds of things is how I, I kind of view that passage. And I, I believe that we are to, to use our time wisely, you know. Uh, I think we are, we are to, to live a holy life. But that's not what he's, he's saying here. And once you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here, he says this, this is an NIV translation, be very careful. By the way, what translation do you use? Oh, that's, that's a better one, isn't it? I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> be very careful then how you live. I like the NASB, but, uh, you know, and never mind. Uh, be very careful then how you live, not as, as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, every kairos. This is, this is really critical, what Paul is saying here. He says, let's go back to verse 14. He says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And the idea here is he's saying, he's speaking to believers. Wake up. Wake up. Why? Well, you want to be wise in the way that you live your life. How? Well, as he says here, because, uh, he says, making the most of every kairos or opportunity. You want to begin to live your life where you are aware of what God is doing in the moment. See, it's hard for us to live our lives this way. The idea that Paul is getting at here, see, there's two words for time in the New Testament. There's kairos and there's chronos. And chronos is linear. Chronos has to do with our watch, how many of you looked at your watch since you've been here? See, some of, some of us tend to live by this thing. Some of us uh, tend to live by the calendar. And so Kronos has to do, it's linear. It has to do with time. It has to do with uh, your calendar. It has to do, 
I, I think a new thing that's been introduced is we, we we're constantly on the phone. You know, I heard somebody say, I, I, I don't have a smartphone. Some actress said, I don't have a smartphone because I want my head to be up. Because so often our heads are always down looking. But when you live according to uh, Kronos, you, you're, you're concerned about getting everything done in a day. You have a to-do list. Anybody have a to-do list? Come on now. Be honest. It's okay to have a to-do list. But if, it, if you become a slave to your to-do list then there's something wrong because you're missing out on what, what Paul is talking about here. So um, <clears throat> let me give you an example of, uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan. And I, I believe, how many know the story of the Good Samaritan? I don't need to go over it. All of you know it. There was a Levite and the priest, and, the, and, and it was a parable. Jesus gave this parable. Of the, and I believe that, uh, that he, was, he was characterizing his ministry versus the ministry that the, the religious people of his day were involved in. So there was a man on the side of the road. He had been beat up, right? And so the first came along, I think it was the Levite came first, and then the priest on their way to Jericho, and they walk on the other side of the road to avoid this person. But when, when the Good Samaritan comes along, he takes care of the individual. I mean, it's amazing what Jesus points out. And what Jesus, I believe, was pointing out is this is how I live my life. And that's how, and priests and Levite are how the religious people live their lives. Uh, he, there was a kairos opportunity. There was an opportunity, and the Good Samaritan took care of that need of that person. And that's, that's, that's the way that we begin to live our lives, where we're sensitive in the moment to what God is doing in the moment. Now, Kairos, <clears throat> let me go back. Kairos, it can be a, a long period of Kronos or a short period of Kronos. What I mean by this, how many of you have raised children? How many have, ra- how many have raised children? They're gone. See, the Kairos is over. Some, well, maybe not for some of you, but you, generally speaking, once they move on, sometimes they move back, right? But... Uh, uh, the idea is you have so much time to train and parent them, and then the time is over. So that's a long period of Kairos. Or long, it's a long period of Kronos, but it's, it's a longer... Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But often Kairos ex- moments come, they're very short little things that occur, and you have an opportunity to capitalize on that opportunity or you'll miss it. Uh, I, in the book, I share a story about our neighbor, and uh, our neighbor is—they uh, uh, they had been robbed, and and so she was home right around Christmas time. Her husband was out of town, and uh, she came to the door to let us know she didn't have it. She lost. They took her purse. She had everything. Uh, they took everything that she had, and uh, so there she was at the door. And I heard the Lord say, "She had nothing. No, there was nothing." And the Lord said to me, give her $200. Now, I can buy that up, or I can miss the opportunity. And so these are opportunities that come to us when it comes to Kairos. Uh, the opportunity is, uh, what we do with the opportunities is what's most important. But one thing about Kairos is, is they come about when we least expect them. And they come about when we, don't ha- we think we don't have enough Kronos. <laughs> We don't have enough time. And so we're on our way to do whatever we have on our list to do. 
and it comes up, and the Lord gives us this opportunity. And there are two ways to know how you um, know if you're living by Kairos or Kronos. How, how do you respond to the opportunities God gives you in the moment? See, Jesus, he, he capitalized on those opportunities that came his way. When you read the Gospels, you see him capitalizing on those opportunities. So there's two ways you can respond to these kairoses that come up. You can get annoyed and upset. That's one way, because I just don't have time to do that, whatever it might be. Or do you ask God, what do you have for me in this situation? It's a whole new paradigm. It totally revolutionizes the way that you live your life. And so I remember one day I, was, I was, had a sinus infection. And, um, and it was a Monday, and our pastors typically have Mondays off, you know. And I get a, a knock at the door. I'm not going to answer the door. I am just not going to answer the door. A little while later, I get a phone call. It's my neighbor across the street. She said, Lynn, look out your front door. And so you look out the front door, and this is what I saw. A 50-foot tree fell down. Winds were blowing in Northridge where we lived. Blew down on the house across the street, their house. And it crushed this car. This gal, this was her 1999 Toyota Camry. It was her Brad. She absolutely loved this car. She had just got it. It was her first day on the job. And uh, she was across the street at her neighbor's house cleaning the, their house. It was her first day on the job. Her grandmother was with her, and she was, this was it. She's going to use this to, you know, provide for her. And she had her car. She was just in, you know, best place she could ever be. And the car was completely crushed, destroyed. And uh, so I was like, oh, man, the city came out, cut it up, but they left the trunk there for, I think, a year. That's, how, that's working, living in Los Angeles. <laughs> so um, our, our neighbor came out, and this is how I should have responded to this incident. He responded as, in a Kairos way. He goes, let's turn this tragedy into something good. I go, yeah, that's a great idea, Paul. Let's do that. So he said, we can cut this wood up, and we can, we can sell it to our neighbors, and we'll raise enough money to buy our new car. That's great. So we, we spent, well, you understand, now I'm spending the whole day with my neighbor cutting wood. Is that an opportunity or what? And then I, th- I said, Paul, I have a great idea. Why don't I call uh, Dennis McCarthy, this is Daily News has articles in there about good things that happened. So I wrote him. He'd written an article on me before. They ended up on the front page. So I, I said, Dennis, uh, Dennis, you know, would you be interested in this article? Well, he wrote an article and asked for money. So long story short, enough money was raised from people from Long Beach to Valencia and from neighbors to buy her Alexis. <laughs> but... It, See, I, when you start entering into the Kairos life in your neighborhood, you experience experiences like you wouldn't believe. I, I, I don't have time to list them because I'm watching that clock. But the question is, how do you enter into, how do you enter into the Kairos life? Dallas Willard, any of you know Dallas Willard? Ever heard of Dallas? Dallas he used to be the head of the philosophy department at, at uh, 
USC and just a brilliant mind, humble as can be. But he, he said to me, he said, Lynn, uh, we were out to breakfast once. He said, don't ever stop what you're doing because if you continue to move forward with what you're doing, we'll see revival and awakening. That was a great word. He, he, he stopped me uh, on, after a service when I spoke, and he said, don't stop what you're doing. And, but then Dallas has also said, he said, this is a, he, it's amazing how Dallas could give these quotes that just stick with you forever. And they're simple, and you go, I wish I would have said that. And he said, he said don't ever try to make anything happen. So on the one hand, he's saying, keep moving forward with what you're doing, but don't, don't, you know, but don't try to make anything happen. So what am I supposed to do? How, how do I move forward in this? And it's biblical what the Lord gave me. Of course, the Lord always gives things that are biblical, right? So what he, he showed me was that the way to move forward so that you don't create Ishmaels. You understand what Ishmaels are? Ishmaels are things, you remember Sarah, she tried to make... You know, a child. Basically, it was on her own, and so we can we can get into doing Ishmaels. But when you begin to move out in this way, you'll enter into the Kairos life, and these are the four things that I have found that allow me to live a Kairos life. And the first thing is I, I pray, and I pray pretty systematically throughout the week. On on Mondays, I pray for my family. On Tuesday, I I go I, I walk through my neighborhood and I pray for my neighbors by name. And I pray and I ask blessing for them. And on Wednesday, I pray that our church will move out into the community, out in the neighborhood, begin to love their neighbors. Thursday, I pray for the pastors in the valley, that the churches in the valley would move out. And then on, on Thursday, personally, I pray, uh, I mean, Friday, I pray that beyond the valley, like Thousand Oaks, that God will begin to move the church out into neighborhoods. And then on, on Saturdays, I pray for those who intercede for me, and I pray that the Lord would push it out in, you know, to other countries. El Salvador, is, this book is almost ready to be translated in Spanish. El Salvadorian pastors are just waiting for it. And El Salvadorian pastors here locally. And so I began to see God move. But after I pray, well, let me back up. I, I wait, I, I, and I wait with an anticipation. I don't wait, oh, I wonder if he's ever going to do anything. I wait like it says in Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord. In fact, a newer translation is those who hope in the Lord. And so I, I, I pray, and then I wait, and then I watch. Now, I, I would really recommend not praying if you don't watch. So your, your prayer life comes alive when you start praying and watching. Because then you, then you get excited about what God's doing. And then you start sharing stories. You'll probably end up sharing stories about what's going on in your neighborhood if you do this. But it's not you doing it. God's doing it. So you're giving him glory. You're giving, I mean, he is just moving in such an amazing way that you just cannot not talk about what he's doing. So you pray, you wait, and then you watch to see what the Father's doing, just like Jesus did. And then you begin to enter in doing the works that my, your, your Father's doing. So you're partnering with him in your neighborhood. It's a beautiful experience. And then fourthly, I join him. When he, when he invites me in, then I join him as my heavenly father. And I've seen so many things take place. 
in neighborhoods that it's just amazing. But I wanted to share uh, this thing that I wrote up, and this, um, I, I, you know, one of the, I think one of the greatest uh, <sighs> things that came, m- most difficult thing that came through the fall of man was that we became like God. Remember he said, if you eat of this, you will be like what? God knowing good and evil. But when you enter into a relationship with your heavenly father, what, what does Jesus say? Unless you become as a little child, you, you, won't, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. So we move from being children into have, becoming like God and thinking we're in charge of our lives. But when you move into being a child, and I believe the way in is the way on. You're just a child. And when you enter into that kind of relationship with your Heavenly Father, you, you're partnering with Him in the work that He's doing. And it's such a sweet experience. It's such a wonderful experience when you see yourself as a child. But this is what I wrote. Living the Kairos life with the Father is like a little kid who is waiting for his dad to invite him on an excursion with him. He knows that only dad can, get, can drive the car. And he waits for his dad to say, Come on, kid. I have a wonderful surprise for you. Let's go. And off they go together with dad in the driver's seat. This is the Kairos life, becoming like a child and enjoying the ride with dad on an amazing journey through life. And that's, that's really what it's all about. And you began to have an amazing journey with your father in your own neighborhood. Now, it might be a little intimidating, your neighborhood where you live. Sometimes it's harder when, it, when it's an upper-class neighborhood, isn't it? In fact, Jesus even points out that it's hard for the rich man to get into, you know, into, into the kingdom or into the heaven. But as you begin to pray, and that's why I handed out that little uh, card there, uh, on your seat for prayer walking. On the back of it, write your neighbor's names down. Now, this is a real challenge because uh, I, I remember one time we were, I was doing a seminar and I said, okay, write all your neighbor's name down. This one girl, the lady, she raised her hand. She said, can I write down the one who walks her dog? And she was being cute, but, but now she knows all her neighbor's. And their neighbors are constantly coming over to their house. I mean, they almost have to hide because they, they've experienced love coming from them. But when you begin to pray, do these things that I mentioned, and you, know, you put down their names of all your neighbors, and you begin to pray, it'll radically change your life. Max Licato, I'll close with this. Some of you know, have heard of Max Licato. But he said, you know, as a pastor, I used to, you know, I was in my home, and then I would wave to my neighbors as I drove off to my, my office at the church. And then I would come home and, uh, and wave on the way back. I knew none of them, he said. And now I pray for every one of them by name every day. And when you start doing this, God starts opening your eyes to things that are amazing going on in neighborhoods. So I want to encourage you to do that. Just write their names, the names of your neighbors down. On that piece of paper there, it's just kind of a, a further explanation of what I shared today. It's the best life. I want to invite you to be a part of it. I want to invite you to live your life 
the way Jesus lived his life when he was here on earth. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've had together this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, those who are here this morning would begin to live their lives in the way that you lived your life when you were, Lord, when you were here on earth. I, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move and uh, that you would accomplish great and powerful things through the, the people right here in this room, that you would stir them, that you would stir them like, you stirred the, like the waters are stirred, and that the living water would flow through them and begin, Lord, to move out by your Holy Spirit in the neighborhoods where they live. And, Lord, we would see Caneo, the Caneo Valley transformed by your spirit, and that thousands, Lord, thousands would come into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.